Well, that's a walk-up song. That's awesome right there. I might have aged myself right there. That was good. Hey, welcome, everybody. I'm glad you're here. Um, this is uh, awesome to see you guys in the building. So happy, whoever's online, that you're also joining us. So thank you very much. Get comfortable. We're going to have a great time for the next three hours. So this is great. Um, and say that. Uh, um, I am not Pastor Bob. Tried hard. I know. Shocking. Um, so Pastor Bob and Pastor Gabe, they're on a uh, kind of a, a well-deserved uh, trip down to Pueblo. They went to a concert last night. They saw Zach Williams um, down in Pueblo, and they had a unique opportunity to stay in a jail that was converted to a hotel. So that's kind of cool. Yes, your senior pastor was in jail last night, so that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of funny, um, but that's kind of cute, cool, I would, that would be an experience, so that was kind of fun. So he asked me to preach, we're going to continue in our series, Mark, or Jesus, the Servant Messiah, we're going to continue in the book of Mark, so if you have your Bible with you, then turn to Mark chapter 8, because that's where we are in this series. And every time that either I preach over in the youth room or over here, my prayer always is, and it's a question and a prayer at the same time, God, what is it you want me to say on your behalf? Because that's what I really want to get across, and I'm hopeful that, that God just really speaks to you where you're at, because that's cool, right? And I know he can. And I know he will. Raise your hand if you think that you can read the same section of Scripture a hundred times, and the hundred and one time, God can show you something different. That was me this week, right? I've read this section of Scripture in Mark 8, I don't know how many times, right? Sometimes I'll just admit it, right? Maybe it's only me. You guys are more spiritual than me. That I'll read Scripture and I'll just, like, go through the motions of reading Scripture because you're supposed to read Scripture, right? But then oftentimes God tells me, Craig, you just need to slow down a little bit. Pause, and let God speak to you through the scripture. So that's my prayer today, that you are, are sitting and with an open heart, that God can speak to you where you're at this morning. It's good to see all of you really happy to bring God's word to you. It's an honor. Never take it lightly, bringing God's word to you. We're continuing Mark chapter 8. So if you have your Bible, follow along with me. I'm going to read this to you. It's a long section of Scripture, right? Oftentimes, what I love about Pastor Bob and his teaching is oftentimes is he takes the Bible for the Bible and what it is, right? And you can't, I mean, I'm guilty of this, and sometimes I can pull up sections of the Bible and preach on that, and life is good. But oftentimes, and what happened to me this week is, I had to take this whole section of Scripture in order to give the message out. I titled this message, even though we're in this series, The Servant Messiah, this message is called The Yeast of the Pharisees. So I'm hopeful that God can speak to all of us about some things that we can take home through that. But I believe we have to read this whole section of scripture. Don't zone out on me because I'm reading 21 verses of the Bible. Okay? So picture yourself. You're 
a New Testament follower of Jesus around the turn of the century. You don't have a Bible. You don't have a smartphone. You don't have all the distractions that we have today. You're sitting in the synagogue. Someone pulls out the scroll, and he's about ready to read Scripture to you. That's what I want you to feel like right now. I want you to hear it. I believe the slides will be behind me on the screen, so if you need to follow along, please do so. But hear the word of the Lord. As we kind of dive into this, it's Mark chapter 8. I'm going to read 1 through 21. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for those people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because, they, because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough food to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he, then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, is it because we have no bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, have ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves, when, when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. He said to them, "Do you still not understand?" That's a lot. That's a lot of scripture to dive into a message into 40 minutes or however long I'm up here. So let's just quickly review, right? So it's a miraculous feeding. It's a sail trip across Galilee. It's a confrontation with the Pharisees. It's another sail trip with the, with the um, uh, uh, across the Galilee. It's a warning to the disciples. And then it's another opportunity to, for the disciples to show that they're clueless. <laughs> Just another day in the life of Jesus. But that's a lot. But let, let's, let's look deeper. Because I really believe there's some good stuff in this section of Scripture. 
I don't know how many times I've read the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. I've read it countless times. Maybe you have too. But the whole section kind of goes together. And when we talk about the yeast of the Pharisees, I think we have to understand the whole picture. And it helps me get it a little bit. I hope it does you also. So the first section is the second miracle of the feeding, if you will. If you remember back a couple of chapters, we've already done a feeding, a mass feeding, right? There was 5,000. Do you ever wonder why in Scripture there's two? Anybody? Raise your hand. I need to know that you're awake, okay, not in a coma, right? Okay, so I wondered sometimes and often why there's two. But if you remember what Pastor Bob was preaching last week, I think it helps you understand. Because if you remember, I don't have cool maps like Pastor Bob does, right? But if you remember, Jesus was up north north of the Sea of Galilee, and he was in the region where most of the people were Gentiles, right? That's where we left off. And so when we get to the feeding of the 4,000, the audience was mostly Gentiles. That's significant to me. Because if you go all the way back to the feeding of the 5,000, the audience was mostly Jewish. So I think Jesus all along is saying he came for everybody. That's good. And that helps me get it a little bit more about the whole of, of the feedings and why there was two. And it was, it's just great to see that. It's great to see. Then just this quick little verse in verse 2. I, I could preach a whole other message on this one verse, but I just want to point this out to you today because it says in verse 2 that he had compassion for these people. If you're sitting in your chair today and you're feeling like God doesn't care, I want that verse to sink so far down into your heart that you get that Jesus cares where you're at. Thank you. Because he does. He knows you. He knows where you're at. And he has compassion on you. And he wants to take care of you. Our series, the whole series is called the Servant Messiah. He came for us. That's cool. And I could preach a whole message on that. Ready? That's cool. <laughs> that was the old, my old youth group right over there. That's awesome. But what about the feeding? Another thing that God pointed out to me this week was I'm not much for, for diving into numbers or, or if there's extra special meaning to some of the numbers, but God pointed me some cool things that God is just so cool, right? Do you ever wonder why it was five baskets or five loaves of bread? Anybody? Is it me? Right? Maybe it's just me, but I think it's cool, right? Right? So, so think about the audience, Right? So in the first feeding, the feeding of the 5,000, how many pieces of bread? Anybody? Seven. 
Thank you. The first feeding, feeding of the 5,000. You're going back to Bible school, right? So... (laughs) Um, it was seven. I'm sorry. I'm wrong. I'll go to Bible school. It was five in the first feeding. That was just to help our marriage counseling later. (laughs) It was five. And there was 12 left over at the first feeding. Remember the audience? It was a Jewish audience. Could the five mean the first five books of the law? Could the 12 mean the 12 tribes of Israel? So the people might get it. But what about the second feeding in our scripture today? The feeding of the 4,000. How many pieces of bread did they have? I'll get this one right, I promise. Seven. Eight. You were here this morning. You heard it already. Seven. How many baskets left? Seven. If you look up seven, seven is a sign of completeness. Notice the audience in the second feeding, the Gentiles. God came all the time to bring them all together. I'm pretty sure there's another scripture that says, there is no Jew, there is no Gentile, we're all the same. Jesus came for everybody. Honestly, that's really cool. I think it's just cool how God puts little nuggets in scripture. Man, again, if I could encourage you to be in your Bible just a little bit more, and that's cool. Be in your Bible. So we're going to come back to the feeding because I think there's some really cool things in there, but I need to read on because it all goes together in my mind. So after the feeding, Jesus and the disciples sail across the Galilee again, but look at this. It's behind me in verses 11 and 12. This is the confrontation of the Pharisees. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. The King James interprets it as tempting Jesus. The Matthew account also includes the Sadducees, right? So that's the religious groups of people that thought that they had it all right. And basically, the Sadducees and the Pharisees reduced... Here's what's really interesting to me, and I didn't even mention this in the first service, but notice that it says they asked for a sign from heaven. Right, So I did a little bit of a study on that, and it was really fascinating to me. And this might help you understand other parts of Scripture. But basically, the Pharisees and the Sadducees reduced all of the miracles that Jesus did to earthly miracles. So when, they, when the Pharisees called Jesus, well, you're just doing this by the devil... So they're thinking that they just, he, they're wanting a sign from heaven. I don't know what they're looking for. Like heaven to open up and God to go. I don't know what that means, but, but it helps me understand. It also helps me understand a little bit further when we talk about the yeast of the Pharisees because look at Jesus' response. He said no. 
And in other accounts, he also says, you wicked generation. So I think Jesus knew the Pharisee's heart. And I don't think, I know Jesus knew the Pharisee's heart. And this gets into, to me, the yeast of the Pharisees, the thinking, right? There's another section of Scripture where, where this actual confrontation happened previously. It was right after the feeding of the 5,000. The Pharisees are coming, and they confront Jesus basically with the same thing. They want to see a sign from heaven. Jesus says, no, the only sign is the sign of J- uh, Jonah. The sign of Jonah. Well, if you remember the sign, this is just a great little illustration. Mark doesn't put this detail in his section of Scripture. But if you look in the account in Matthew and Luke, it gives more color and more flavor. And it really helps me understand the warning that Jesus is going to give the disciples here in a little bit. Because when he says to the sign of Jonah, he basically says, he compares what happened to Jonah to what's going to happen to Jesus on the cross. So let me just very quickly refresh you. If you don't know the sign of Jonah, there's a great VeggieTales movie about it if you want to see it. Very scripturally accurate, right? So it's really awesome. But God comes to Jonah and says, hey, you need to go preach at Nineveh because those I need you to save those people. This is Craig's version of the, of the story, right? Okay? So, and, and, and Jonah goes, whoa, those people are lost. I'm not going there. So he gets on a boat and heads the other way. Right? But then God in his, his sovereignty says, ha, hmm, I got better plans for you, Jonah, or for the people of Nineveh. Right? And so he kicks him out of the boat. Well, throws him out of the boat. Okay? And he gets swallowed by a big fish. He's in the fish for three days, and then he gets spit up on the shore. He eventually goes to Nineveh. The people repent in Nineveh. And then we go, jump all the way back to our story in Mark and in Luke and in Matthew. You have to combine all of them together, right? And Jesus says, I will not give you a sign except for the sign of Jonah. So he compares what's going to happen to him on the cross and in the grave and then the resurrection to them. What's really interesting, and you can look this up, it's in the Matthew or the Luke account. He actually says this to the Pharisees. Please listen to this because it helps me. I hope it helps you understand the yeast of the Pharisees, the kind of thinking that can be so detrimental to the faith. Right? It's the thinking that says, he actually says in Luke, he says that the, at the time of the judgment, so the end times, the Ninevites, the ones that repented, will actually stand in judgment against you Pharisees. So when Jesus says, no, I am not going to show you a sign from heaven. Jesus knew in his heart, please hear me when I speak to you on God's behalf, I hope, is that God knew the heart of the Pharisees. He knew that if someone is just always asking for a sign, that always breeds unbelief. And I really have to take that to heart because if I'm always asking for a sign from Jesus, basically that just says, I'm not going to believe until you act. 
God doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to believe that he will act. That's good. And that's the kind of thinking that we're going to get into in a minute that Jesus is warning the disciples about. Not only that. So if you can understand the feeding of the 5,000 and then the Pharisees coming and confronting Jesus and Jesus saying no, you get to understand further the kind of mentality or the kind of thinking that Jesus is warning the disciples about that helps me understand. So let's move on. He left them, got back into the boat, sailed across Galilee again. I mean, these guys have frequent sailing mileage. I mean, they've sailed across the Galilee I don't know how many times. That joke landed a lot better in the first service, so I don't know what happened to you guys, okay? And they must have been hungry because while they were on the boat, right? I did a study on it, and it basically was a six-hour sail, so it was a long time. Then look at chapter 8, verses 14 and 15. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Jesus, no, and then be careful, Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. So picture the scene, right? They're sailing across and they're talking, the the disciples are probably hungry and they're looking at that piece of bread and someone's going, how do we split this, right? I mean, I don't know, right? And then Jesus, hearing the conversation, because that's what Jesus does, knows what's going on, is always trying to teach us, and he hears it, and he says, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees. Other versions of the Bible said, take heed, beware, be on your guard, be alert, and that's the picture of me, of someone, either military or, or the old school, right? I used to, I had, a, I had a, when I was little, I had this little toy fort, right? It was a it was square fort, and on the corners was a little lookout. And we would always place the little guy in the lookout. And always, I don't know what he was looking out for. He was the toy, but he was looking out for any kind of enemy that would be coming and attacking the fort. I think that's the picture, that's the warning that Jesus has given us. We, we need to be on the lookout for anything that might look like, smell like, get our thinking, our attitudes like the Pharisees, the yeast of the Pharisees. And then you just got to love the disciples. You just got to love them. And laugh. And then look in the mirror. Because there's responses. Wait, is this because we didn't bring any bread? Jesus is going, what are you talking about bread for? Probably didn't use that tone of voice, but that's just me talking. Okay? It's like the father going, what? Right? What are you talking? Do you still not understand? Man, and then then it's easy to laugh at the disciples or it's easy to think, man, that's not me. But here's, here's, man, this is why I need to preach with a mirror in front of me because I'm wondering how easy it is for me, for us to get caught up in the natural things around us. 
and not get it. And Jesus is there going, don't you understand that I'm with you, that I'm here for you, I want to take care of you, and I'm just worried about my job, my relationship, whatever. You fill in the blank. It might not be a loaf of bread, but I'm wondering if it's easy for us to get distracted by the natural, just like the disciples. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were all about the outward appearance. So their whole deal was is they wanted everyone to abide by the 612 plus rules that were written in the law. Can you imagine that? 612, right? Sometimes I forget to put the toilet seat down. I don't know how they do 612. But then they also had all these other man-made traditions that they had to do. Pastor Bob talked about the crazy hand-washing routine, right? But they had to do all that. It was all about external. And I think Jesus is warning us, them, I'm going to get to us in a minute, warning them that we need to be careful because that kind of doctrine, that kind of thinking can lure you into a false sense of salvation. The fact that I can earn my way in. Man, I really had to dig deep for this. Not even that deep. Jesus was saying, Craig, you need to pause right here. And you need to look at yourself. And this is why this warning is so strong. Because I really had to dig deep into myself. And I had to take an evaluation of my thoughts and my actions on the kind of yeast of the Pharisees. And quite honestly, God showed me a lot this week where my thoughts and my actions toward others, very judgmental. And without even knowing it, my thinking is, why aren't you doing X? Because I think you should be. I think your relationship, this is my thinking, right? And this is poor. This is the yeast of the Pharisees. This is what's coming in, right? I'm thinking, you should be doing this. That thought alone is probably, not even probably, that's yeast coming into my life. So when Jesus is talking to the disciples, he's talking to you and me. Because I know that he knows the damage that that kind of thinking uses and can do. I love the fact that Jesus uses common elements all the time to teach and to get his point across. The problem with this in our world is things are so common that that they lose their value than what it was then, like bread. We go to the store and we buy bread. We don't make, well, some of you might make bread. Some of you are like Miss, Miss Homemaker or Mr. Homemaker, whatever, right? And make bread and do the yeast and do all the stuff that it takes to do that. But we don't. We go to the store, we pull a loaf off, and we don't even think about it. 
So when I was studying this week, the way they made bread is they made it, they put the yeast in the batch of dough. And what they did is they took a little bit of dough out. They set it aside. It had yeast in it, right? And so they would cook this batch. And then when the next batch came, they would take this little piece and then they they would put it in the pure dough, if you will, because that yeast would then penetrate the whole dough. Someone hear me, because we're not talking about bread anymore. (laughs) That's how yeast works. It's designed to penetrate the whole loaf. This is why Jesus is such a strong warning that says that be on the lookout, be aware, because he knows that that kind of thinking, that kind of attitude can overtake the whole thing and be very detrimental to the whole body. Look at Galatians chapter 5 verse 9. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're following along, I believe it's behind me on the screen. A little yeast works its way through the whole batch of bread. Really interesting piece of scripture because Paul is writing to the Galatians. Chapter 5 is a great chapter of scripture in the Bible of Galatians. One of my favorites Romans 8 is my favorite, and then maybe Galatians 5, second. I don't know, but I have a lot of favorites. But if you read Galatians chapter 5, Paul is also warning the church of the same thing. The yeast can go through the whole loaf. See, Jesus is reminding us and taking, letting us take, take stock, if you will, of my own thoughts and my own actions to make sure that I don't let creep in subtle, subtle things where, where my thoughts and actions might, might require you to be doing something. So Galatians 5.9 talks about the yeast, right? But honestly, it, all by itself, that just supports the whole warning, But it's better than that because if you back up from verse 9 and go up to verse 1 of Galatians 5, there's the magic. Because it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened by the yoke of slavery. Amen. God came to set us free. And then it goes on right after that that says, who cut in on you? So it's the same issue that's been around for a long time where people are placing requirements on people. Who cut in on you? Paul was talking to the church in Galatians. Who cut in on you? See, Jesus is telling us to be on our guard. Be on the watch. Be on the lookout for anything that creeps into our thinking, into our actions, into how we treat others. Because he knows that it can be very detrimental. 
This was hard for me this week. I'll just admit to you, God pointed out quite a few things in me, just in my thinking alone. It might not come out of my mouth, but it really is the same thing. If I'm thinking it, it's the same process. Man, I'm going to go out on a limb right here. It's a small limb. In this, 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 I read this earlier this week, and it just, it just, I'm like, I don't get it, right? Because we all have maybe have read the yeast of the Pharisees, right? But Jesus' warning was the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. I've always found that fascinating. And this week when I did my study on this message, it was interesting to me what that really meant. So stay with me, right? If you hate me, then okay, that's all right. But I just want to share with you what I think God told me this week. Herod. There was a group of people of that day and age, they were called the Herodians, Right? We've already been introduced to the Herodians way back in Mark chapter 4, I believe it was. Bob, Pastor Bob preached about the Herodians were conspiring to kill Jesus. Right? So we all know that Jesus was a threat to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But they were, he, Jesus was also a threat to the establishment, the political parties of the day. So there's some scholars, in my study I found this out, that some scholars actually believe that the Herodians believe that Herod was a Messiah-type figure that would bring restoration of Israel and bring them in favor with the Roman government. Interesting. Sound familiar at all to you? What's going on today? Here's the limb. Do we have thinking today where we place our trust and dare I say our faith in a political figure that might restore stuff? I don't know what stuff is, but might restore So I've seen it. Maybe I've even fallen prey to that kind of thinking. Jesus is calling us, warning us, that says, be careful. Because it's not about any political figure. It's not about anybody else. It's not about any rule that I might set up for you or any kind of requirement I want, want from you. It's not about that. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is warning us that we have to be so careful of that kind of thinking. And there's been yeast bombs since the beginning of time. With the kind of thinking that can gauge us. Maybe that's why in Romans it says we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Right? Man, Jesus uses bread so often in Scripture, right? We started in, in the first part where it says the feeding of the 4,000. He uses bread, okay? 
And then we go on to the yeast of the Pharisees. He uses bread so often in Scripture. But let me read this section of Scripture to you because I think it's important to you, to me. So I don't think we totally, maybe it's just me. I don't understand completely. Bread to us is just another food item. Bread to people back then, it was the main food item. Essential. And I think this scripture just really comes to light to me. So this happened. It's in John chapter 6. So write this down if you're taking notes or pull your Bible out and turn to John chapter 6. I'm going to read it to you. This happened right after the feeding of the 5,000. The account. So when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father, has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, the people, what must we do to do the works God requires. Listen to this. Really good. Jesus answered, the work of God is this. Write this down. To believe in the one he has sent. Period. End of quote. Exclamation point. (laughs) And to believe the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. And it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is it. There's nothing more you need to add to it. He's essential for life and life eternally. Do you hear that? The difference for life here and life eternally. Apparently I'm supposed to go Panera Bread sometime today. That's what just came up. (laughs) Worship team, come on up. Get comfortable. I got a long close. (laughs) Let's go back to the feeding of the 4,000. God showed me the coolest thing this week. I've read the story of the 5,000 and I've read the story of the 4,000 on countless times, but I never, ever picked up on this. And it was just phenomenal to me. I hope you find it that way also. In both accounts, in the 5,000 and the 4,000, Jesus took bread, 
gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to the people to eat. Sound familiar? Took bread, broke it. Took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to the people to eat. Isn't that communion? Isn't it all along that maybe even the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 is so much more than just the feed itself. It's so much more. It's, it's Jesus preparing the whole plan that he's it. So we always go to a verse in Corinthians when we talk about communion. So place the feeding of the 4,000 in your mind where Jesus took bread, he he gave thanks, he broke it, and then he gave it to his disciples. Look, Think of that as I read this scripture. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. Is it possible that the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus is saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this and remember me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's cool. And that's communion. But then the Lord showed me this. And this is where it all comes home to me. So we started with the feeding of the 5,000. We we told the 4,000, we went to the Pharisees and we said, you guys are lost. And then the disciples, he's saying, "Um, uh, you need to take heed. You need to be on your guard for what you are thinking and prepare and just be on guard against anything that might come away. Right? And says, do you not understand? And then he gets to this. And God showed me to goes all the way back. Mark 8, Mark chapter 8, verse 8. And this is what I want to get across this morning. We take communion every Sunday in this church. One of my favorite things that we do is take communion. And I say all the time that if you take communion and all you're doing is going through the motions of communion, don't do it. And God showed me this week this verse. And if I could... If I could convince you that Jesus is the greatest thing on the planet, I I would give anything to do that. And I want you to experience Jesus today like I experienced him this week. Because then God led me to Mark 8, verse 8 in the first part. The people ate and were satisfied. Jesus is the one that can satisfy. 
When you take communion this morning, not only are you taking in recognition of what Jesus has done, and you proclaim Jesus until he comes back again. Not only that, I want you to come to communion today, and I want you to know without, without a shadow of the doubt that he can satisfy. I love communion. Man, we don't do this all the time just, just so that we can be up here and we can share. We want you to experience the love of Jesus. We want you to respond. I don't know what's going on in your heart right now, but what I can tell you is that God does, and he wants you to respond. He wants you to come to communion. He wants you to eat, and he wants you to be satisfied. If you want need prayer, we got prayer team in the back that would love to pray with you. We have a little corner over there that even if you can need to go off to the side, then that would be awesome. But when you come to communion, I'll serve you communion up here if you want. Okay? When you come to communion, do it as a response to the to 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 Jesus in your life. Because however, however you came into this building, Jesus is worthy of our praise and our worship. And use communion as a response. We're about ready to sing a song that's called, It Is Well. I don't know if it's called that, but that line is in there. It, it, It is well. I think if you can sit where you're at, regardless of everything out around, and you can take communion, and you can say, God, I recognize you. You're the source. You're the bread of my life. Right? I'm halfway off the edge of the stage right now. You can, you, you, if you can sit there, and you can say that God is everything in my life, regardless of anything else that's around, that's the meaning of it is well. Bring the rain. Let's pray. God, I just thank you. Because you, Jesus, I could sing it as well. Because you, God, sent Jesus for me, I can sing it as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.